This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Very, very simple entry-level solar system with a small light, a small battery, and a panel on the roof that could be removed and uh, stored power for charging cell phones. And in case of an emergency, a school basically would turn into an emergency response center where people could use the phone, have light, uh, have shelter, and then respond. A lot of these places would lose power. And furthermore, they would also be subjected to natural disasters in Nepal and Haiti and Puerto Rico and uh, places that had hurricanes and earthquakes. And you know, that was their lifeline in many cases. And, and Haiti is probably the, the biggest example that we have it ongoing in Nepal as well. It's two of the places where Give Power continues to do a lot of work. And uh, the need is extraordinary. That's it's endless. There will always be need. Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. This show is all about insights and explores how transformational moments of awakening have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthroughs teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is David Richbaum, a man who's defined his life through service to others. After a trip abroad in high school, David gained perspective that led to him joining the Peace Corps and volunteering throughout the world. David was instrumental in the formation of Give Power, an organization providing electricity and clean water to developing countries. On the show, we learn how awareness led to David's passion for volunteerism and service why he believes in giving out a gratitude as opposed to obligation, and what he means when he says a mind once expanded will never return. David's unique perspective on living a purpose-filled life is refreshing and inspiring. If you ever wanted to give more, but wanted help getting started, this episode could be just the spark you need. He gives tips on how to take action after gaining awareness. Shares how even before his interview, he wrote the job description for his role leading Give Power and how a conversation with Lyndon Rive, co-founder of Solar City, gave him perspective on how to inspire and keep great talent. David offers a rare example of what it means to give to others in need, and I'm so excited to share his story on this episode of Inside Out. David Richbaum, welcome to Inside Out. Thank you, Billy. It's been a wild ride getting here, but uh, glad to finally be on your show. Big oh, fan. man, I am so thrilled to have you and I'm so excited to dive in. So let's get started. 
first to set up, you know, when I first had the opportunity to join Solar City, one of the things that stood out more than anything else was give power. And I had Michelle McGee early on in my journey here. She was one of my first guests and she talked about give power. And when I joined the company, what I soon found out was that you were really the main person in charge of all the day-to-day workings of give power. And for those that don't know, I would love it if you could give a a background of give power along with your own background. And, And I'll just give a short summary, which Give Power has done so many incredible things to help developing countries around the world get electricity through solar power and then so much else as a result. There are a few organizations that have done as much as Give Power has in, in this space. And I'm so excited to dive in on that topic and learn more about how you first got started with Give Power. So you, you've had so many I would say experiences throughout your life that have helped make you the person you are today. And I'm excited to have you share that with the audience, not least of which is your passion for volunteering and giving back and really not just talking the talk, but actually walking the walk. So love to hear your story, but as part of your story, I'd love to hear about Give Power. Yeah, absolutely, Billy. Happy to. And uh, I remember that very well myself when joining Solar City, I started as a outside salesperson, you know, just like many others, there were probably a thousand people at least in that role. I went there after grad school and after selling solar door to door, believe it or not. Very humbling, very humbling indeed. You know, we had quotas, you had to oftentimes be in a Home Depot, talking to strangers, getting rejection after rejection, no after no. And I had done some interesting things before. I I did do study and service abroad in developing countries and in foreign languages, also done Peace Corps in El Salvador. And so those things really formed my interests and values, as well as grad school, which brought me out to the Bay Area, where I studied a master's of public administration. The way that I got to Solar City was after working in the public sector for a while in education and environmental work and policy, uh, I did see an opportunity for a different type of solution. And that was financially driven, that was business driven and demand driven, right? Uh, Not top down policy mandating or banning certain things, but rather offering a very compelling product and service, which I found solar to be. And I started at the bottom. I absolutely did knocking doors, selling PPAs on commission only. Pretty hard way to cut your teeth in a, a new industry. But found my way to Solar City. And what I heard from the leadership at this time, it was Hayes Barnard and Michelle McGee, as you had mentioned, a few others that had come over from Paramount uh, in an acquisition. They wanted to bring over some of their culture. And I think that was probably a really big turning point. I had started not too long prior to them joining. So it was also right around the time of the IPO of Solar City and certainly a pivotal time. I'm sure people who've been there much longer could tell you what it was like before that. But from that point forward, you could tell there was something special that they were bringing to the table. And one of those things was this nonprofit initiative called Give Power. Uh, they had started something similar at Paramount. They were talking about 
uh, sending people overseas on volunteer trips as an incentive for high performers and leaders in the organization to partake in either building a school when they're at Paramount and now at Solar City, the idea of installing solar on those schools through an organization called Build On. Uh, so that's really the origin. I think, you know, Hayes and Michelle could tell you even more further back about the start of that idea. But uh, that's where I kind of came into play after being in sales and they were looking for somebody to help spearhead that initiative. And that was uh, late 2013. And uh, the organization really started, you know, getting our paperwork for nonprofit status and 501c3 status in 2014. How did you first get in contact with Hayes and Michelle? I mean, obviously you heard about the idea, but you having the background that you have, and this is one of the things that I'm most fascinated about, you give so much of yourself and it, and it shows through all of your experiences, you know, through the Peace Corps and, and other volunteer experiences. And I want to dive into kind of where all that stems from, but clearly you had the the background to support being involved. I'm curious how you let it be known that you had that background and then connected with Hayes and Michelle. Obviously you worked for the company, but I mean, it's a big company and they're senior level leaders and to your own point that you just made, you were just getting started out yourself um, in a, in a individual contributor sales role. You had to sell yourself to some degree, I would imagine but I'm curious what that was like. Absolutely. And I'd say this is applicable to anyone in sales. It is so easy to be a number, another cog in the wheel. And like you said, there were thousands of people in the identical role in Solar City as an outside salesperson. And, uh, you know, Hayes had mentioned this before. We used to have all company, all hands phone calls on a regular basis. He'd thrown out some ideas. Honestly, a lot of it was right place, right time and raised my hand, raised my voice, said, hey, I'd love to volunteer. I'd love to be involved in any way possible. Please let me know. There weren't any public postings as far as I knew that were online job applications, which again, you never want to be a cog in a wheel. You never just want to be another number, another resume, another salesperson on the stack. So I went directly to Hayes someone I didn't really know at the time and only his reputation for being a big personality and taking a lot of risk. And you know what? I had taken a risk on Solar City, starting in an entry-level sales position, worked my tail off. And I did kind of make a name for myself, at least enough that he probably saw my name on a leaderboard or heard me being recognized once or twice. And when I spoke up and asked to be part of Give Power which I was not quite aware, did not exist at the time. He said, all right, let's hear what you have to say. Called me in for an interview. I came in prepared because I knew there was not a job description. I wrote a job description. There wasn't something to online, something to apply to online. So I walked in applying for the job that the description I wrote described. And uh, I think he really, you know, he, that made an impression for me, you know, I wrote a job that I wanted to do, clearly, one that I thought that I could do. And uh, you know, shortly after that, I was hired to do it. Pretty, pretty cool experience. I would recommend anyone give that a shot if you haven't done it before. I, and it wasn't the last time that I've done that either. I love it. And it's, wow. I mean, I, there's a few things running through my mind. First and foremost is 
Hayes is a larger than life figure. He really is. I, anybody that's met him will attest to that. He's got so much charisma and confidence and just oozes this passion, enthusiasm, and energy that you really can't describe unless you've met him. You you can't really fully understand the degree to which I, I, I think he has all of those things that I just mentioned. And to stand up and say, and raise your hand and say, I am, I'm going to be, or I, I think I have the ability to be this person. And here is what that person is by actually writing out a job description that outlines what the day-to-day would be and what the job would entail, I think says a lot about you and who you are as a person. So it's no wonder that you've had the success you've had in your life. And what a great story. I'm curious, walk me through your own sort of mental state walking into that. I don't know how well you knew Hayes and knew who he was. It sounds like you knew him through his all hands meetings and things of that nature, but you you maybe didn't know him well enough to know you know everything about him or or clearly you 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 wouldn't have known exactly how he would respond but yet right. you took the initiative how did he respond to to your initiative sure well at the time the ceo was lyndon rive and there was a moment prior to joining give power as the first employee and it was really hayes's initiative that he was spearheading i believe it was part of the deal made with Lyndon and Pete Rive for him to join Solar City as an employee after his company was acquired that he wanted rather to start Give Power as a nonprofit initiative. And, and that was part of the handshake deal. So I was unaware at the time of that. But Lyndon said something to me at a holiday party that really stood out. And in Silicon Valley and the Bay Area and clean tech, you've got people all the time looking to join the next growing company, the next pre-IPO company, and the next kind of hot, trendy technology. So I asked him at a holiday party, just casually, again, someone with a a big personality, a big reputation, um, but very accessible when you get the chance to speak with them and very candid. said, hey, how do you retain talent? You've got people here hopping from company to company. It's very common to have a very short tenure until you see an IPO happen and then move along to the next. Uh, and Solar City was going through that public offering at the time. So he said, you know what? If someone has an idea at this company, someone brings a concept to me, I will nurture it. I will nurture them to the extent that I can within the company. I would love to help see a new initiative, a new product, a, a new concept come to life. If I can't help them, I will wish them the best and give them the best advice I can. But that advice starts with, give it a shot first where you are and you'll have a safety net. You'll have a network. You'll have a community to help support your idea. Uh, Doing it on your own is a very uphill battle and a a huge challenge. So he basically, I can tell you, he probably had a very similar conversation with Hayes. He said, start your nonprofit here. And that's what we did. And, uh, you know, I think in a business sense, it helps retain a lot of intellectual property and high net worth talent in your company. Um, but also it shows people that as a leader, you're willing to invest in your people and that if they have an idea, they don't have to go somewhere else to build that next concept. I, I found that really profound in terms of leadership 
and uh, a place where I wanted to work and grow and uh, you know be a part of. The word that comes to mind is purpose and fulfillment. And if you don't feel like you have a sense of purpose and if you're not being fulfilled with what you're doing, chances are you're going to look elsewhere. Conversely, if you feel like you're at a place where you can truly do something that is fulfilling and is able to allow you to have that sense of purpose around what it is that you're spending your most precious resource time doing, you're going to stay. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to want to leave. And, and that being said, there's so many companies out there where regrettably that doesn't exist. And it's so nice to hear that solar city offered you that opportunity. Did you have any idea about what it would turn into? Well, I mean, if it, the way that Solar City grew or Tesla grew, the the companies that these leaders had built before, you get the idea they don't do things small and they don't do things slowly. So I think one challenge was looking at international development and nonprofits through a different lens um, because we knew we were going to go quickly and probably make some mistakes and learn along the way. But um, that's not always the case in a nonprofit or public sector type of initiative. Um, the thing I would add to what you were saying, I just wanted to add something uh, about purpose and fulfillment. It's not like these companies weren't already meaningful and purposeful and people's roles within the company were not filled with impact. I mean, this is like purpose on purpose on purpose, right? You're sure, a solar yeah. company. That's right. You're saving people money. You're helping the electric grid become more resilient and uh, diversified. You're creating jobs. You know, people are building new things all the time. And you can find your purpose in all ways. You don't have to be on a nonprofit. You don't have to be traveling around the world in a jet to go to the most remote places on earth. You can have impact right in your backyard and you can find that fulfillment. So I just don't want that to ever be overlooked. Uh, I think it's so easy to think you need to go somewhere else to do something extraordinary. You need to do something different than your current job. You know, this opportunity happened to occur within my current employer, but, um, you know, you never know what's right in front of you, actually. Um, and I've, I've got plenty of examples of that, but this is a, a pretty extraordinary one. Um, yeah. So did I know what it was going to grow into? Yeah. Absolutely not. We were very <laughs> optimistic and we were very bold in our claims as oftentimes is the case with this type of company and this type of leadership. Just to clarify, it actually yeah. started what year? What year did it actually start? Uh, 2014, uh, January 1st, 2014 is when so, I personally became the first employee of Give Power, but it was really uh effort of the entire company. There's so many people who volunteered early on, uh, even before I was part of it and made it real. It In t- 2014, we did get our 501c3 designation from the IRS as a tax deductible nonprofit and public charity. Got it. It's been about six years. You were the first employee. And I just got to say this before you go into kind of what you thought it would be versus what it actually has become. I do want to talk about what it's become. But I remember you just highlighted something that's so true, which is it's purpose on top of purpose. But it makes you feel so good when not only are you able to help a family member that you're sitting across the kitchen table from save money on their power bill and also go green, get power from the sun, which we all know is the right thing to do. 
but you're also able to help this organization give power, give electricity to people that maybe never had electricity or consistent mm-hmm. electricity. So I just think that's such a profound thing to think that it's it's so much bigger than what you're already doing, which is a lot. But yeah, so let's 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 dive in. So what what did you expect it to be, and then what did it become? So what we expected it to be in the beginning, just our first initiative, was kind of a marketing campaign. It was uh, CSR, corporate social responsibility, and what we were doing was giving back for each unit of solar that we sold. So one megawatt would equal one school. Very simple concept and customers could understand it. Salespeople could understand it. The public could understand one so school. So one megawatt, one megawatt. Of, of solar powered installed domestically here in the Correct. United States, helping homeowners go solar would equate to one school getting solar electricity for their school to operate and to have power. Is that, is that, that correct? That's correct. Yeah. A very, very simple entry-level solar system with a small light, a small battery, and a panel on the roof that could be removed and uh, stored power for charging cell phones. And in case of an emergency, a school basically would turn into an emergency response center where people could use the phone, have light, have shelter and then respond, a lot of these places would lose power. And furthermore, they would also be subjected to natural disasters in Nepal and Haiti and Puerto Rico and uh, places that had hurricanes and earthquakes. And that was their lifeline in many cases. And and Haiti is probably the the biggest example that we have ongoing in Nepal as well. Two of the places where Give Power continues to do a lot of work and uh, the need is extraordinary. It's, it's endless. There will always be need. And as we made sure that the communities that we were working with wanted our presence, you know, they invited us, they had a need. We, they might've had a school that couldn't operate at full capacity because they had no lights. You know, sun goes down, school's out, everyone's gone. All of a sudden you've got a little bit of light or you've got a cell phone uh, enabled classroom and now you can extend the hours of the day uh, where you can have educational training and community meetings and, and in the case of an emergency, shelter and uh, communication. Right. And, and one of the things that's also interesting, and I'm curious if this is part of the original vision, is that you would have employees go and be a part of the installation of these systems. It, was that part of the original vision as well? It, it was. Um, I think that is where we met an interesting challenge in terms of scale and impact. Initially, with that kind of marketing campaign mentality, one school, one megawatt, we're looking at doing very quickly thousands of schools as Solar City <laughs> scaled as a business. So <laughs> right, as you right, can imagine, right. we can't send the entire workforce of Solar City out on a field trip to install solar in uh, some of the remote, most remote corners of the world. We would send teams and what we called them were signature projects. Uh, they would fulfill a need that was beyond just lighting and energy storage and a little bit of cell phone charging, but starting as we were growing to address needs, mostly identified by sustainable development goals at the time that were part of the United Nations uh, initiatives. Uh, a lot of them included electricity for education, 
for food security, for clean drinking water, economic opportunity, uh, women's empowerment, and things like that, that a little bit of electricity would really accelerate the impact of any one of those areas. So we really looked at solar as just a tool to be applied for other means. Uh, Of course, it was clean energy and accessible in places that didn't have it otherwise, but um, it was really just a multiplier uh, of so many other great impacts, literacy and education and and far oh, beyond. So so many, it's incredible. And, you know, the other benefit of having sort of a, what I'll call it a, a simple or easy to understand premise is that a consultant, a solar consultant here could actually have a target themselves of hitting a megawatt. And then they would actually feel personally responsible for putting a solar system, at, you know, on that school. And so as you've already started to indicate things have evolved both out of necessity, but also because there is so much more work that Give Power has taken on. Curious if you could kind of go through some of the things that it's evolved into. You, you've alluded to it, and and I know it's been a, a few years since you've been a part of the organization, but you set the trajectory for what it became. And so we're curious to hear more about what it has become through the years and maybe also talk about you know, your transition, you know, away from it, because I also know that it was your baby. And so that's, you know, that's gotta be hard as well to, to pass on the baton to others. It's certainly not going to be easy, I would imagine. Um, but I'm curious what, what that felt like. Uh, and also what's happened to the organization over the last call it three or four years. Sure. Yeah. It's, gone to tremendous places. I'm really proud of all the people who are leading Give Power. Hayes is still at the helm. In some of our work, as we were growing, we were working in Nepal. We were working with larger projects and in some cases using subcontractors. We would oftentimes work with whoever was the local solar installers so that we could also bring Solar City employees to train and have a knowledge exchange really to learn best practices and off-grid solar environments and microgrids, and then teach some of the things about our residential and commercial solar installs in the U.S. Uh, While in Nepal, we met a a great organization, a company called GOM Power, and they had some excellent projects out in very remote areas. We started working with them prior to the earthquakes in Nepal in 2016, I believe it was. And uh, they were doing some exceptional work in very challenging environments. And I can tell you, I kind of learned around that earthquake and around that project in particular, going out to Nepal post-earthquake, that we needed some local talent. We needed people who are experienced in managing international solar companies, which I was not. And uh, that's where we met the current executive director of Give Power, Barrett Raftery. He's done an exceptional job. Uh, He and I got a chance to work together at Solar City. And uh, at that point, Give Power, not long after, um, had to spread its wings because the projects were getting bigger, more complex. And also, when Tesla acquired Solar City, Give Power had the opportunity to become an independent organization, not sponsored by a parent company, but rather. Um, by its donors, 
by its partners who were either contributing in-kind materials or skills, and then a number of organizations who, including Bank of America and many other nonprofits that um, emphasize energy access and for-profits that are solar companies in the U.S. So where they are now, and I'm excited to be you know, somewhat a part of it, is promoting give power to other solar companies, not just Solar City and Tesla, who are really the parent companies of the initiative, but a program they've started called Give Partners, where really any company, doesn't have to be solar, doesn't have to be clean energy, but it just so happens that they've very closely aligned their values with Give Power. Um, they have the opportunity to set a metric that's meaningful to them, uh, that's both financial and uh, you know, performance productivity-wise, and say, hey, if you achieve this goal, employee of solar power company X, you can have either A, the opportunity to see your impact in delivering light and electricity to a school, or B, potentially even go on one of those trips to be a part of the installation. And uh, to share that story with your customers is powerful. To share it with your competition really sets you apart. And as a company, I think whether you go on one of those trips or not, you find a lot of value in, the, like you said, the walking the walk of not just ro- uh, lowering residential electric bills, but you know, using solar power to change people's lives in a very meaningful way. So I think that that's kind of where they are and they're growing. A lot of the projects now focus on water access, which is a, a huge issue, a clean drinking water, food security, and, and a lot of those issues that persist along with uh, you know, being multiplied by climate change and, and just solar powers not going anywhere and, and neither is give power. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, man, it's, it's so incredible to see what Give Power has turned into. You know, things like a solar water farm can provide access to clean water to 35,000 people every day, right? I mean, that's just staggering to think about that. And electricity and water are things we take for granted here. Yet so many people, millions, millions, billions of people still don't have consistent access to running water and electricity. And so Give Power is doing their part to help provide these basic living necessities that, again, most of us who live in a place where we have these things, we just take them for granted. And it's difficult for us to even fathom the thought of not having these things. And so I think we owe it to our fellow human beings around the world to to provide these things and do what we can. It seems like the bare minimum is to do everything in our power to help provide these basic necessities. So I want to go back in time and I want to understand how David Richbaum got this bug in his life to serve other people and especially to serve other people in other countries. Before you get into that, I'm going to share just a couple of things that I've learned about you 
We already mentioned the fact that you were in the Peace Corps in El Salvador. You were also, you taught uh, in Spain, you taught in South Korea, you taught in Peru. I mean, the list goes on and on. And all of these things happened before you even found Solar City. And if you look at your background and your experience, there seems to be more volunteerism and service than anything else. And it certainly, it sets you apart in my mind and in so many ways, because you're clearly somebody that knows that life is about helping other people. And it's not just about serving yourself, but it's about serving others. I'm curious where that came from. And then if you could share some of the highlights or moments in your life that have been standout moments as far as your serving and, and volunteering. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Billy. I appreciate the recognition. It, it's been a phenomenal journey. And I have to say, I have enjoyed all of the jobs that I've had, whether it's selling solar door to door or working in Peace Corps in a remote village or installing solar with Give Power. One of the things someone said to me recently that stuck with me, we were talking about the issue of refugees in Pittsburgh and something, an organization that I'm currently involved in called Hello Neighbor matches local recently resettled refugees in the community with a local family who's been here for much longer who can help show them the ropes, right? Do the basic things to assimilate and get comfortable in their new home. And we were saying, oh man, not enough people know about this. You know, it, the average person probably doesn't care. But what we realized was they said to me, you know, it's hard to care about something that you don't know about. And you can't blame people who don't know about a thing for not caring about it, right? I mean, that, that sounds kind of obvious, but um, I guess you could say one of the things that helped me early on care was awareness. Travel is a privilege not everyone has, but when you go somewhere, even if it's in your own community that is unlike you know the comfort of your own home, you learn. What, whether that is from an urban environment to a rural, from rural to urban, uh, you know, between classes or socioeconomic status, I think you don't have to get on an airplane and fly around the world to raise your awareness and raise your care for others. So, I mean, I, so I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That, that's where I'm from. I'd never traveled abroad until high school, a uh, Spanish club opportunity for spring break to go to Costa Rica. It's a great place for entry into a developing world or you know foreign countries if you haven't left the US. Um, to me, there. that was really where I got that bug. And I saw great beauty and great natural treasures, uh, but I also saw poverty that I'd never seen before. And I saw communities in living off of the environment that I'd never seen before in my own upbringing. So that was one of the initial nudges. And my parents encouraged me to go on that trip. It was something that to me was very transformative. And uh, another thing that always sticks with me is, uh, I'm going to butcher this quote, but something like the human mind once expanded can never return to its original form. <laughs> just, just another way of saying that awareness, right? Yeah. One, once you know that something exists, it, you're capable of caring about it. 
So yeah, education and experience. I consider service learning a big part of my education. And that started in high school through undergrad um, and led to Peace Corps and, and many other international and local nonprofit uh, social efforts. Well, it's easy to say ignorance is bliss, but there's truth to the fact that if you don't know, sometimes you're relieved of responsibility and it, mm. and, and, and it's um, not necessarily in a good way. It's just that you maybe don't have the awareness that you're talking about. I will say, though, that the fact that you have the experiences and the awareness that you had and you acted upon it, you didn't just have those experiences and then go about your life in a normal way, you decided to take action. And I think that's what sets you apart from, honestly, most people. You and I talked about this briefly when we talked last time we spoke over the phone, maybe a few weeks ago. And one of the things that stood out from that conversation was this very concept. And that is when you have these experiences and you're right. It's a privilege. I think there is a some to some degree, uh, and pretty large degree, there's a, a an awareness that you gain that requires you to maybe change the way you approach your life going forward. I'm curious if you consciously realize that early on, or if it's something that you just naturally gravitated to. Whereas you, hey, you saw this poverty, you saw this way of life. And then you responded. Did you consciously know about that? Did you consciously know that you were acting based upon what you saw, or did it just did it just come natural to you? I feel like it kind of snowballed. That first trip to Costa Rica was far more than I expected. You know, it kind of set me on a course to learn foreign language, to work in international development, to care more about the environment. And although that was a transformative experience, of of course, you know, I, I didn't go into that blindly but I left with a, a whole new world view. And um, so- Man, talk, that, about, talk about insights. Sounds like that trip is a monumentally important moment in your life. Imagine you, you extract that moment from your life and maybe you would have had another moment from another trip, but it sounds to me like that moment set the course and the trajectory of everything else that happened. So just I just wanted mm. to kind of, highlight that and see if, if that resonates with you. It does. It does. And uh, I mean, you got to say it happened at an age when your mind and eyes are wide open, you know, things are totally. changing naturally and you're just kind of absorbing the changes that you're exposed to, that you're intrigued by. You were what, 17 or how old were you? Some, yeah, probably a sophomore, junior in high school. How long was time. the trip? It was one week. Yeah, wow. just a, a spring break. A one-week um, experience. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of incredible. Oh, it could be even less. I mean, you could have just one conversation. You could have one That's right. interaction with someone. And I find that really fascinating, not to go too far off on a tangent here, but you know, those moments that kind of put your life into a, a spin or change the trajectory, they can be very challenging, right? You could not embrace those things. You could turn away from it and say, oh, this change is not the change that I want. Uh, you could also lean into them and, you know, go completely, you know, 180 from where you were headed previously, but riding the wave, um, I'm sure there's gotta be another better analogy, but I think riding the wave, um, makes sense for that. Cause 
there are things that are outside of your control. You can observe and incorporate into your life and then uh, take it where you want to take it. But awareness is something that you can't really go back from, right? And the, the other piece I was just going to say is um, you know, two core values that I think are worth thinking about are reciprocity and gratitude. So you know that awareness was not an experience that you just pay for. Of course, there's you know, a trip that doesn't come for free, but awareness that you have when sharing an experience with someone, sharing food, sharing a conversation, sharing hard work or labor, sharing an uncomfortable immersion in a foreign environment. To me, that awareness and experience is so incredibly valuable that it instills in me a deep sense of gratitude and a desire to reciprocate, mm-hmm. even if not directly to that person, but to the next person, passing it on, you know, paying it forward. And that concept, you know, I think resonates with a lot of people. You may not know exactly how to implement that in your life, but I, I think it happens almost naturally, except for an exception, I will say, that comes to mind, which is guilt. It, there's a difference between reciprocity in giving and gratitude and guilt. I think a lot of times people give out of a sense of obligation that may not feel authentic or may not feel like reciprocal. And oftentimes in organizations, I think you find that kind of distorts the values or uh, mission of a company or nonprofit, because when you're giving out of a sense of guilt and obligation, reciprocity doesn't look at, it's not considered a two-way street. That's so common, I think, in business or in nonprofits. You see people who are giving for the wrong reasons or Mm -hmm. who are selling the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. So it's just something that stuck with me. And I don't know, I I try to implement as often as I can. Yeah, no, I, I like the way you frame that. And I'm curious, you know, there are a lot of people who maybe have gained some form of an awareness or their eyes have been opened to any number of situations or things that have made them feel a sense of, of duty or responsibility, but yet they they don't take action. And, and I think there's probably a variety of factors. They get stuck kind of getting back on the treadmill of life or they don't know what to do or there's the distance between that event and that awakening or that awareness makes it less impactful. I'm curious if you have any advice or recommendations for anyone that does walk away from a trip. Let's just say like a give power trip is a great example. You go on a give power trip and it's great. So much to be gained from having this experience. But if you go on that trip and you walk away and you don't do anything after the trip, I think it's probably a lost opportunity, one. And two, it doesn't mean that it's intentional. They just probably get stuck going back to, again, the the daily life. What advice do you have for somebody that maybe doesn't it doesn't want that to be the case? They they actually want to take action like you have. Do you have any steps or methodology or or an approach that you think would be valuable to share with the audience? Oh, yeah, pl- plenty, plenty. I mean, one of the things that comes to mind when I think of those first trips that I went on when I came back and I felt like I was lacking purpose or lacking that same kind of excitement for life that I was 
experiencing abroad or in service. Some place will call that reverse culture shock. You know, you come back to your home and you see it through different eyes and you maybe appreciate yes. things differently, yes. but you also are more critical and analyze things differently. Mm-hmm. Again, that that mind once expanded, not returning to its original form, right? <laughs> That's right. So one, definitely keeping in touch. I mean, this kind of basic, but sometimes harder, harder to apply than just say, you know, staying in touch with the people from that community, if you can, from your trip that were a part of the experience with you. So you don't lose those memories. uh, So you don't feel isolated as if it never happened or, you know, could never happen again. Finding ways to work in your community on the same issues, whether it's food, water, health, education. I mean, those things are everywhere. It's not just faraway places that have these issues. In Peace Corps, they have kind of three pillars. I think it's a good framework to look at. So it's not just a one directional development paradigm. You have something that you're bringing and teaching about your culture and your experience, something that you're learning and observing from the culture that you are a part of in your host community, and then some type of technical expertise or cooperation and impact that you're having through your project. So you don't have to be an engineer or an electrician to have a meaningful experience and um, have a cultural exchange, have an awareness gained or share awareness with others. Um, There are things that you can share that don't have to be um, necessarily turning on a light for the first time in a remote village. Uh, A lot of those things can happen in your backyard. So I think that's important to remember. And it can be feel very isolating having such a unique experience and then coming back to what seems like your routine. So incorporating that experience, I think, is is essential to not let it die or, like you said, not be an opportunity lost. I love all of those insights. And you you touched briefly just now on your experience in the Peace Corps. I want to dive in in that realm because Peace Corps, I'm sure, was an incredible opportunity to learn and grow and really develop who you are as a person and gain insights and get more of that world experience, especially experience in a country like El Salvador. Curious what you took away from that experience and how it ultimately changed you as a person. That's a challenging one. It was a big pivotal moment right after undergrad. You know, time flies and I I didn't feel like I had finished my journey when it was over. I still wanted to see other cultures, see other countries and give in different ways. So for me, I took some of that experience and I still have contact with a lot of those people from El Salvador, from Peace Corps. Um, And I took that and lived abroad in Spain and taught English over there in businesses and in, you know, private settings as well. Then taught in South Korea and from there, had a tremendous experience living and working in Asia, things I'd never imagined just a few years prior. And um, when I finally came back to the U.S. in the Bay Area, I went to grad school at what's now Middlebury Institute in Monterey of International Studies. And uh, I went back to kind of sharpen my toolkit. And I had a lot of these, what I would call kind of entry-level volunteer experiences. Sometimes you pay for them. 
sometimes you are paid minimum wage for them. And people have a variety of experiences. Give Power as a volunteer could be one. Uh, Peace Corps could be one. But coming back and sharpening your toolkit so that you can make that your career, that you can make that uh, profession where you bring that third pillar, right? Not just your culture and experience, not just learning as a student and an immersive service learning environment, but now you can take those experiences and add the technical expertise of whatever degree you choose to pursue, whatever you know, academic or professional pursuits, whether it's solar, whether it's all the different areas we mentioned, sustainable agriculture, water, um, engineering. And now you can build your own organization. You can contribute to a, a growing company or growing organization that needs your skills and needs your worldview to have uh, a global impact. Um, so I, I guess Peace Corps was another one of those Spain trip moments, mm-hmm. right? It was a deeper immersion. It was a deeper understanding, a deeper awareness. And then I, I took that and just kept rolling with it. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't go away. I mean, the Spain trip, the, uh, sorry, the Costa Rica. Well, there was a Spain trip as well. Yeah, the Costa Rica trip, the El Salvador trip, the Spain trip. Um, and and you build. I mean, some of, we had a conversation at my, my current company about our proudest moments. And um, to me, it's when they kind of overlap and there are layers when you're reminded that all these past experiences uh, are building up to something and culminating in a new, greater, higher height. And uh, to me, that's always an amazing feeling and uh, kind of reinforces and affirms the decisions that you made in your past. Mm. And, and it, to your point, I mean, they do overlap and experiences sort of lead from one to another. It sounds to me like the experience that you had in the Peace Corps ultimately left you feeling like there was more you had to do. And and then in turn, you ended up going to Asia and Peru. Curious about Asia, how that sort of manifested itself because you were in what, South Korea? And, and for how long in total? And what were you doing? Yeah, uh, that was interesting because I was in Spain, living in Barcelona at the time, doing kind of it's a little bit cliche living uh, as an English teacher without a proper work visa in Europe. Uh, I think it might be a little bit harder to do now. So I'm not recommending this necessarily, but that's what I was doing after Peace Corps. Wasn't quite sure what to do next. You just knew you weren't done. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I knew I wasn't done, but there was an opportunity to work at this place in English village. It was called, still is, I believe they may have changed the name. But a place in South Korea, it was started by the government of South Korea to reduce the amount of students going overseas and causing what they call brain drain. Kind of some of the top students and and more privileged students' families would send their their kids overseas to study in the US and UK and Australia. And so they created what's called an English village there. It was immersive. It was a hundred foreign English teachers from a half dozen different countries, US, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And we all worked in English village, lived there. That must've been an experience living with a hundred. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was, that was wild. And they also had kind of a UNICEF sponsored curriculum that they were implementing there. So again, it was about awareness. It was 
for these students who may not have the chance to go abroad, or maybe instead of going abroad, wanted to learn in their own backyard what a foreign company, what a foreign culture is like. Um, so that was part of the concept behind English Village. Aside from the language, it was immersion in a culture foreign to the Korean Peninsula, which geographically and culturally can be quite isolated. Well, it was Eng- English language, but as far as was it an American? Was were, were the teachers American, or were they? Was it a mixed uh, set of of nationalities that that represented the the teachers and and the, the hundred people that that worked there, or what was? How was that set up? It was mixed in terms of nationalities. We did have Korean co-teachers as well. So there was a cultural exchange as well as a knowledge and, and language exchange there. Uh, we were not sent there to learn Korean, though. We were there to provide a rich learning environment where English was spoken through all different types of uh, content-based curriculum. We did you know, cooking classes, science classes, gym, you know, outdoor phys ed. Uh, nature excursions, things like that. And the, another way of learning, I think one of the things as we're going through this conversation that sticks with me is service learning is, is kind of a generic concept, but to me, very profound because when you do service and you have an immersive learning environment, whether it's studying abroad, whether it's volunteering, you learn in a different way. And I think it's going back to that awareness and experience not just from a textbook, not just from a lecture, but from something you will carry with you for the rest of your life. And, and that's experience and awareness beyond just knowledge. It's interesting. I One of the things that stands out as you're saying that is this shows insight out, obviously. And insights happen when our brain is alerted to pay attention. It's kind of like when we're surprised, we tend to pay attention to things that are different. And when things are unique, we are more inclined to remember them because our brain is conditioned to almost tune out the the things that are the same, the similar things. And when something's different or something's new or something's changed, all of a sudden our prefrontal cortex is more likely to have a, a moment of insight or a moment of awakening. And when you're traveling or experiencing or doing service, you're in a new environment in a new place where things are changing constantly or or things are new constantly because, because of the fact that this is not normal. And so I think what ultimately happens is it's a, a type of learning environment where you're going to gain a lot more, I guess, insights and a lot and a lot more memory based learning because you're going to your brain is going to be more in tune with what's happening. And I'm wondering if you equate that to like why why do you think service learning had such a profound effect on you and still does have such a profound effect on you? I don't know. I guess partly because uh this would be a silly answer, but my memory doesn't always capture, you know, words it captures feelings it captures images so when i am experiencing something unique like you said you have an insight you have a spark that records in a different way than a lecture or being told to do something because it's right or because those are the rules the feeling of doing something right is so different right i mean 
when you do something right and you do something truly good with a capital G, it feels the best feeling in the world. I mean, to to give, to reciprocate, to you know, be charitable and and share in experiences. To me, that that's the stuff that sticks with me. You know, maybe for better or worse, because sometimes rules or general classroom knowledge doesn't always stick. So you find yourself being a different type of student, a different type of employee or employer, a coworker, because you seek those experiences and you seek to share them. You seek to share a memorable insight, a memorable experience that other people you hope value in the same way that you do. Mm. And I guess I'm glad you're asking these questions because I, I think to me that's um, what, that's the way that I want to be. That's the way I want to be remembered. That's the way I want to be experienced and felt. And when people think of my name, they don't think of a LinkedIn profile or an academic paper that was written. Not that they were that great to reread years later anyhow, but <laughs> an experience from years ago, a feeling that we shared at one time in our lives. So I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that's a common human experience and a common human uh, objective to be a part of something that's memorable, not just on paper, but um, in someone's mind and heart. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Oh, my God.